Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, Robert here, and welcome back to the Guys and Ties podcast with Dustin here, as always. And before we dive in, we want to give you a quick word from my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my money on it. Sometimes I have a gut feeling about a matchup, and sometimes I'm just betting on my team because they're my team. Regardless, you've been betting for years, or if you're ready to play for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go with mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. With pro football, college football, and MLB playoffs in full swing, both hockey and basketball around the corner, now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in on the action. If you really want to support the team this season, don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game with mybookie.ag. If you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Guys and Ties podcast. This is Dustin. I'm here with Rob. It's a Sunday. It's like five. And uh, both of our teams are victorious for the first time this season. Rob, Redskins, how you feeling? We should have lost, man. We're better <laughs> off losing. <laughs> I wish Miami would have converted that two-pointer. <laughs> well, you know, Miami's tanking harder than you, so if you want to yeah, tank, you, you better do it The better. Redskins can never go full swing except with RG3. Right. That's the only thing we'll commit to fully right. for and, way too long. And look how that helped. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're back, and uh, kind of a disappointing weekend, I think, for UVA fans. There's some good stuff, too. And uh, we'll do that in another episode, the, the basketball episode that comes out later this week. But first, we're going to talk about football and kind of where we're at this season. And I know a lot of fans, or I think a lot of fans, think that the sky is falling. Kind of, you know, where did we go this season after that great start? 4-0, we've lost two in a row. And Rob and I are going to talk it out, you know, talk some feelings. We were both uh, despondent on Friday night. Really, really disappointed with the uh, team's performance and the coach's performance as well, I would say. So, Rob, let's go ahead and get started. The most disappointing thing on Friday night was what? The offense, the fact. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, the end result is what kills you because mm -hmm. Virginia had a chance to get in the driver's seat and take control of the Coastal. And you were hoping some of the things that we've talked about that are clear weaknesses on this team, you were hoping that coming out of the bye, they would find some ways to correct them. 
And really, we're talking about the offense. You know, the defense played overall a very, very sound game. You know, Miami scored a touchdown on their first drive. Maybe we can give that to the bye week, you know, whatever. Miami scored a touchdown on their first drive and then really did nothing until the final drive where, you know, Nick Grant missed a couple tackles he should have had. They were targeting our corners. You know, when you don't... When you don't have depth at corner and you lose Bryce Hall, you know, that's how you attack us. And I think that's how a lot of teams are going to come and start to attack us. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the defense that lost us the game. It was that the offense scored nine points, six trips inside the 25 yard line for nine points. You got to be better than that. And it's not a new thing. That was kind of the theme last year was Virginia was one of the worst red zone offenses in the league. And you combine that with a lack of explosive plays, a lack of real creativity, and, you know, unfortunately for Mike Collins, a pretty untimely turnover there just doesn't add up. It was a very, very poor offensive showing. And I think the most disappointing thing for me is that not only, you know, I mean, we kind of saw the offense trickling down, going downhill for Liberty, for Notre Dame, but then we got a bye week. And I think a lot of people thought that, you know, this is the time where we can fix some of these things. You know, let's get some speed on the outside. Let's do something with the offensive lines that we can get some sort of blocking protection for Perkins. But instead, we come out, you know, all the same stuff. I don't don't think Bryce Perkins got sacked as much as he is used to, but, you know, still nothing new running it up the middle a lot. Not a lot of any sweeps or pitches to the outside. Definitely no option plays. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of these things that the offense, you know, could do but didn't. And it was really disappointing to see that, you know, no changes were really made to this offense. And I think that other teams are starting to catch on. Like, this is what Virginia does. They just dump it down to the receivers four or five yards at a time. And they're not really looking to go downfield at all. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to score when teams know exactly what you're going to do. And I think that it's really caught up to us, especially with Miami, you know, coming off a of bye week. They, well, not even coming off of, we were coming off a of bye week. Miami just played a really tough game against Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And so it's embarrassing, I think, that we didn't have anything new to show them. Yeah. And I mean, you say Bryce Perkins. I mean, Bryce Perkins was sacked five times. You know, you don't want your quarterback sacked five times it in still, a game. still That's, did not seem as much as usual. Well, it wasn't as much as Notre <laughs> Dame. <laughs> I think Notre Dame was eight. Yeah. But then Bryce Perkins also are leading uh, Russia in terms of attempts and tied with Wayne Talapapa with yards he had 17 attempts no other running back had more than eight so I mean you know we're putting it on Bryce Perkins way way too much and you know he did play without the knee brace on Friday and I would say he's noticeably quicker and faster still not what he was last year but there is a difference there but the bottom line is that last year while there weren't explosive plays really Alameda Zacchaeus had a couple but there really weren't these big explosive plays you know we still don't have that this year. The difference last year was that the ground game, while it wasn't exciting or fun or explosive, it was generally consistent. You were getting a couple yards per carry between Bryce Perkins and Jordan Ellis. And mm-hmm. the offensive line, while not great, was generally holding its own. And this year, there is no ground game. You know, aside from Bryce Perkins, all four of our other top running backs got carries. Wayne Talapapa, P.K. Kyer, Mike Collins, Lamont Atkins. And none of them had more than 27 yards. So it's like, what, what do you want to do here? Like, we don't have a running back. We don't have an offensive line. And unfortunately, those things just aren't going to change. That's just how this season is going to go. You know, 
it had shown up time and time again throughout the season. I think we're finally at the point now where you look at this and you say, hey, this is what we are. And you can critique Robert and I for play calling for sure. You know, he'll get real cute. Like if you watch the um, the play against Florida State, that draw handoff to Joe Reed, they ran like a play off of that that was a fake handoff and to Joe Reed out of that same formation. Defense bites, goes to Tavares Kelly. You see Robert and I get cued and sometimes those things work. But at the same time, you just see route concepts and play designs that aren't designed to give you the best success. I mean, that stop fourth down out of the pistol, fourth and one, Stupid. you lose for like two yards. Stupid. It's like, is that really the best play call we have here? I, you know, you can critique Robert and I all you want, and he certainly bears part of the blame. But the root issues that are causing this offense to struggle are not going to change this season. Well, and also the fact that the coaching staff is not adapted anything you know we know that the offensive line is really bad this year Mm -hmm. we know that our running backs have not shown that they can handle you know running it straight up the middle we know that we have not shown the ability to pass downfield for big yards now have they adapted anything at all no they've just been doing the same stuff over and over again hoping that you know it's gonna work and it hasn't Mm -hmm. and it's really frustrating especially I mean, you brought up that fourth down run out of the pistol. I mean, who thinks that's a good idea? We've got a superstar quarterback in Bryce Perkins who we've seen make plays with his legs in key critical situations. And I'm surprised they didn't run some sort of rollout to his right or left and try and, you know, either get a pass or get into the end zone. And now they, they did try it later in the game. And Miami sniffed it out. And I think that was a really good defensive yeah, play. And Bryce by Miami. has got to throw away that pass. He's too. got to throw it away so that we have a chance on fourth down to run it. But at the same time, you know, Miami made some good plays, but the coaches did not give them any, they did not help our team yeah. to win this game. And I mean, Bryce had some mistakes too. Like we mentioned that. Bryce right. should have thrown that ball away, given a shot on fourth down. Mm-hmm. On the fourth and one call, I don't know if it was just a straight handoff or if it was a zone read if it was a zone read if Bryce keeps that ball he has all sorts of room because the defensive mm-hmm. end just crashed hard mm-hmm. either way whether it was a play error or a coaching error as far as play call goes something was off there like that was a poor play call and if there was a read there then Bryce missed it so you know players aren't executing at the highest level right now the coaching staff you know I don't I don't think Robert and I is like worthy of getting fired right now although a heavy rumor mill is that he might be out at the end of the season in which case it might be uh jason beck most likely getting promoted to offensive coordinator retiring that is heavy rumor mill i don't know if it's actually true let's wait hold on let's let's stop right here and let's pause and let's talk about that because i think that's important and so there's a lot of people who are calling for a nice head right now and there's also some people saying like hold on it's not totally his fault now if he is retired or if he does step down what do you think about Beck coming in as the offensive coordinator is there is anything going to change I don't know I mean that (laughs) I wish I could tell you right I would say the offense scheme will most likely largely stay the same you know Beck has been with Bronco for a long time Bronco Mm -hmm. promotes from within so like before we even dive in too deep like let's just establish like if Robert and I were to step down which won't happen mid-season it would be at the end of the season. Broncos not going to force anyone out midseason. But if Robert and I were to step down, it's going to be Jason Beck. Bronco promotes from within. That's how all of his grad assistant. Most of the staff was a grad assistant under Bronco at one point, and he just mm-hmm. keeps promoting from within. That's how it happened. That's what would happen here. Jason Beck 
I'm 90% sure would be the next offensive coordinator at UVA. So when you take that into consideration, as a quarterback coach, I think he's done a pretty good job. I think generally, you know, uh, a Kurt Benkert, a Bryce Perkins, I think they've all kind of exceeded expectations. Even even Armstrong looks like Even in limited action, we've seen that from Armstrong. So I would say generally, I think he's pretty good at his job, his current job as a play caller. You know, it's kind of tough to know how he'd be. I think the scheme would be largely the same. You know, Anai comes from air raid principles. He likes to spread it out. And, you know, if Virginia had the personnel that it really, really wanted on the offensive side, I really think we'd use more tempo. That's what the Mm -hmm. staff did at BYU and what they really wanted to do here before they realized they didn't have the personnel for it. So I would expect things to largely stay the same. The question is just what type of rhythm do you get in as a play caller? And Mm -hmm. that's just something you really don't know until they're out there but i don't think there'd be a dramatic shift as far as scheme goes yeah yeah that makes sense i'm just curious because like it you know if an eye is gone we have beck but beck's been working for an eye and you know probably gets a lot of his stuff from an eye also broncos had an eye around he's probably going to have whoever replaces an eye similar mm-hmm. to an eye I, I don't know if anything changes next year, even if we don't have an eye. Yeah, well, Bronco's been clear, and he, you've seen it just throughout his tenure. He prefers an offense that has the potential to score a lot of points. He wants to spread it out. He's not mm-hmm. a real power guy. He'll come at you with the run, but out of generally spread sets. I mean, do we have a, t- a play from under center in the book playbook? I don't think so. I don't know. So it, it would remain largely the same. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, I mean, at this point, you know, Robert and I isn't going anywhere, at least for this season. There's going to be no changes. And that's the thing, too, is like it was so frustrating. And, you know, we talk about how frustrated we are and how we should have won that game, which we should have. But, you know, the sky, it hasn't fallen. I don't know if it's starting to fall, but it hasn't fallen. It looks like it's falling. It's like kind of, you know, misconception. It is falling, but it's not falling yet. So, I mean... When we did our preseason predictions, I had us at four and two right now. Like this is exactly what I predicted so far. We are in a three-way tie for first place in the coastal right now with Duke and Carolina. To me, kind of the more concerning thing for Virginia is twofold. One, just the downward trend that the fact that even if you're losing games, are you showing improvement? Are you looking better? And what you brought up is no, we might be looking worse. I think we're looking worse. B is the fact that. I think the coastal, while like super weird and super inconsistent, we have a North Carolina team that's better than what we thought they'd be. Louisville beats Wake on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So Wake Forest was ranked number 19. They were the only other undefeated team in the ACC. So now Wake goes down, but Louisville, I think Louisville's 4 and 2 as well. So, uh, you know, they're obviously better than what we thought they'd be. So the competition. <laughs> it's all converging at the center of mediocrity and yeah. there just isn't the differentiation that we thought there really might be right. i mean you know it's it's tough to, to look ahead and virginia will have a chance in every remaining game this season but it's tough without looking at georgia tech to see an acc game where you're like all right i really feel confident about this game i mean if you look at the rest of our schedule we've got carolina we've got duke we've got louisville we've got tech also and we've still got georgia tech and also liberty who's you know probably not going to be a pushover either and i don't besides liberty and georgia tech i don't really see any game where it's a definite win now at the beginning of the season i think i felt pretty confident about most games Mm -hmm. and i don't anymore and i think that's a testament to see as to how this team has 
perform this year. And I don't think it's all just about performance. I think that there's some other factors going into for like injuries, for instance, like Bryce Hall out for the year now, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, Hasis Dubois, we're not really sure what his injuries at. Um, concussion, shoulder thing. Uh, after that nasty hit he took uh, against Miami. And I think that, you know, we've just hit some snags along the way that we didn't see coming. And that happens in every every year. There's always injuries and there's always things that we don't expect. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, we've hit the injury bug a little bit this year. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's an excuse for our team, but especially not our defense. Our defense is doing really well. But the offense, for sure, uh, has underperformed expectations. Yeah. And... I mean, the depth is going to be tested, I mean, especially in the secondary. That's all of a sudden one of my biggest concerns is, by my count, four of your top five guys at corner before the season are now injured, you know, and done for the year, that is, injured. You know, Bryce Hall, Darius Bratton, both of whom were supposed to start, and um, Huskin Smith is out, Jermaine Crowell is out. You know, really, you've got Jalen Baker and you've got the true freshmen, but I mean, during uh, during Miami, what they did is they slid Devontae Cross down the corner and put Chris Moore in at safety. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily a huge step down at safety. Chris Moore's a redshirt junior. He's been here for a while. Um, you know, he knows the defense. While he was out all of last year, you know, he was in starting competition to get that starting job and just ended up losing it before he got hurt. Um, but you look at corner. I mean, if Devontae Cross stays at corner, this is a guy who played corner briefly as a redshirt freshman in 2017, but he's put on about 15 pounds this offseason. He's trained at safety. He's just not built, you know, from a mental standpoint or physical standpoint right now to be a, like, great cornerback, I would say. And, you know, he was playing fine at safety all year, too, and so it's unfortunate that he's, you know, we've joked about how he kept moving positions, and we were saying how it was so nice that he was actually at a position this year that he was comfortable with. And now he has to switch again because of yeah. all the injuries that we face. So it's it's really tough for him and it's tough for this defense that, you know, something that we thought was really um, strong is no longer that mm-hmm. strong. And so how are we going to fix that, you know, moving yeah. forward? Do we, do we move linebackers back into coverage more often and rush less? Because that's going to take away from our, you know, our pressure on the quarterback, which is a strength of this team is getting sacks. Mm-hmm. and uh, tackles for loss do we take away from that do we just kind of let them hang to dry and see how it goes um it'll be interesting to see next week how, yeah how what happens and i mean that was the one critique i'll say of the defense against miami is that while they played extremely well for the majority of the game they didn't get home at the quarterback as much as i would have liked you know miami comes in with just a terrible offensive line and i had made the joke earlier that you know, Florida was leading the team, mm-hmm. leading the nation in sacks. And I said, there's an asterisk beside it because they played against Miami and right. Miami gave up 10 sacks to them. Well, we got three right. and, you know, the pressure was there, but our guys were coming in a little bit too hot at times. And Cozy Perry was able to wiggle away from some, what looked like might've been sacked. You know, it's the defense is going to be tremendously challenged after losing those guys at mm-hmm. corner because Nick ran again, had some bad missed tackles on that final drive and yeah really you know, you're really at, bad you put him in a bad position you ask him to say hey make this tackle one-on-one with a guy who's bigger and more talented than you are but that's the way the defensive scheme is designed it puts these corners on an island and when you have the depth out there that can handle it that's fine uh you know aka your bryce halls but nick grant while he's exceeded my expectations in coverage 
I don't think he's a great tackler. So you're going to see more and more situations like that pop up that could prevent that could present troubles for this defense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, do you have anything else about Miami? I'm I'm sick of talking about that game. <laughs> well, in that case, let's like transition to yeah. what I think is a bit more broader yeah. subject, which is essentially kind of where are we in Bronco mm-hmm. Mendenhall's tenure? There's one thing we talked. Who talk- are we? What are we? <laughs> Well, it was one thing we talked about a lot last year because the big thing last year was, you know, Virginia had made the bowl game and, you know, Chris Wright says it very well on the Sabre. It's essentially, you know, there's this list and it's like you keep checking off things that are new that you haven't done in a long time, right? Make a bowl game, make two bowl games back to back, you know, have a winning season, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's all these things that, yeah, which hasn't happened, happened but um, there were all these things that were getting checked off and. You know, the 7-5 and five regular season wasn't great, but it was definitely progress. Well, now we look at where we are right now in Bronco Mendenhall. He's now three and a half seasons in as head coach. What do we really think? What do we think about the philosophies that are in place? Are they still conducive to giving us the best chance to win, both here and now and later on down the line? You know, he's been dealt a bad hand with the offensive line without question, but kind of taking that aside, you know, what what's our comfort level, our confidence level? Because... You know, depending on what we think, you know, not that it'll have an outcome and how the next six games go, but the next six games are kind of huge for the trajectory of the program. Like, is this for the Virginia team that was hyped up preseason to be the coastal favorite? Or is this just kind of the same old six and six, seven and five Virginia team? You know, you, I mean, I think you talk, you, one thing that stood out to me in what you just said is Bronco's been dealt a bad hand at offensive line. And I have, some issues with that because this is his fourth year he's got some of his guys in there and now if he's been unable to recruit at a high level at the offensive line you know that's something different but you know we've been definitely recruiting I think better than when he first started and so I I I remember talking to you last year when we first started this podcast and you were saying that you know it usually takes three or four years for a new coach to really get settled and to see what they're actually made of and, you know, this is Broncos' fourth year. So we see what's going to happen. We see what this team is made of. We see what this team can do. And if he's not able to recruit at the offensive line, I think that's definitely something that he's got to, you know, work on in the future. Now, we do have some people coming in down the pipeline. We've got um, Chris coming in next season. We've got um, uh, some other recruits who are really, really mm-hmm. supposed to be good, you know, in the future. But, you know saying that the offensive line is, you know, he was dealt it. I I think that's wrong because this is his offensive line now. I mean, we don't have anyone left from the London years. You know, this is his offensive line. And so we really see what he's he's made of. And now, is the offensive line bad? Yes. Do we need to get better at it? Yes. And I think that's something, you know, in the future, how do we address offensive line issues Mm -hmm. going forward? Yeah, I mean, and that kind of leads in, so... What I did is I wrote this article on Who's Place, and it's basically the thought is, you know, Bronco has this philosophy on starters playing special teams, you know, not really looking to redshirt guys intentionally, you know, and are these philosophies still conducive to giving Virginia the best chance to win? I think we saw, you know, especially with the special teams, Bryce Hall getting hurt, injured for the year at a position of no depth to have your All-American cover guy on special teams. I don't like it. And unfortunately, it's not unique to Bryce Hall. It's something that Bronco has done since he started here. You know, he made a point all starters are going to play on special teams. 
Juan Thornhill, the highest draft pick Virginia has had in a long time, I, he played on, I'm pretty sure, both kickoff and kick return units last mm-hmm. year. So like Juan Thornhill was playing special teams too, a second round draft pick. So it's just kind of how the program is constructed. I don't know if it still makes sense to do that anymore. Same with what I'm getting uh, kind of with the offensive line is the redshirting policy. You know, we have guys like Orion Swoboda who comes in like super, super tall. Like, is he really ready to be playing? He's an underclassman. You know, I think he could have benefited from some more time to really develop and get to where he wants to be. You know, you look at a Bobby Haskins. Mm-hmm. Bobby Haskins came out of high school, I think, as a tight end. You know, like all these guys are a lot of them at least, especially the tackle position, are kind of new. And, you know, Bronco, he was dealt a bad hand with the offensive line from the London years. It was tremendously under-recruited. I'm with you. I think at this point there should be a little bit of ownership from Bronco that these initial few years haven't panned out. But you also look, the offensive line, you know, they brought in a graduate transfer Mm -hmm. at tackle. He's not playing. I'd expect him. I'd expect another graduate transfer this year. They're still not where they are want to be in terms of depth. You know, it's tough to say, but I would say in general, I'd also like to see Virginia take advantage of the redshirting rule more. And, you know, we'll see how it works with Jaquay Hubbard. For me, if, you know, the offensive line's, excuse me, so bad right now, like, you know, unless Jaquay Hubbard's dominating in practice, I don't see a reason for him. I think he has two games left for him Mm. to have to burn his redshirt. You know, it's just, as far as how this program is run, I think it was set up perfectly for the first few years when it was really like we got to change the culture we got to do x y and z and i love the culture that's in place of virginia but i think you can make a little bit of tweaks to that you know that's not going to sacrifice the culture per se to keep the same ideals and that are not given mantra in place while still protecting your players and putting this team in better position for long-term success and i like what you said about you know changing the culture and stuff i think bronco when he came in did a really good job of changing not only the fan base culture which you know was toxic Mm -hmm. but also the player culture which was also toxic Mm -hmm. and they were used to losing they didn't know what winning was and so he changed it earn not given was their motto right our motto now is the standard so is this the standard that we're going to get used to is, you know, seven, five years having bad offense, having good defense. And I'm not sure that's something that, you know, fans necessarily want or thought they were getting. I think that's something Broncos got to work on is realizing he's not in Provo anymore. Yeah. He's in Charlottesville and it's a different set of circumstances that he has. He, you know, he's recruiting better here. He's got, he's at a bigger market He's got to change some things from when he was at a school where he didn't have the same type of athletes that he does here. And, you know, we go back to Bryce Hall's injury, and that's great that he plays on special teams. And, you know, he I'm sure he was really good at it. But do we need our best player, preseason All-American, future draft pick playing on Sundays on the punt return team, which is, you know, one of the most dangerous things you can do in football? kickoff and punt returns Hmm. it's a it's a little confusing as to why it still happens and i know that some people say oh this is how bronco does it you know it's good for you you can you know make the nfl playing special teams i get all that but when you have someone as crucial as bryce hall is to this team you take him off special teams immediately i don't think there's any question about that yeah, I really don't, and I, I I will fight anyone who says that he should have been on special teams. 
and you know it's you can't like just make exceptions for one player so you have to evaluate this in the context of the program right the rule that all starters have to play special teams does that still make sense is that still it made sense when you were two and ten and you had no real stars or talent coming off of that mike london season and it made sense at byu when you were only getting a certain type of person going to byu but does it really make sense here and now where you're trying to you know brand yourself as the standard you're coming off an 8-1 season you have kind of these expectations of a higher one season and that's you know unfortunately another thing is that I think Bronco is so good at connecting with players because he's so blunt and doesn't really beat around the bush but it has gotten him in trouble in times with you know the media and fan expectations you know don't don't make plans for Christmas we're going to a bowl game right you go two and ten we have 27 ACC caliber players okay, well, that didn't go over as well in the media, you know, and then he comes out the standard and, you know, kind of, they were pretty confident after Pitt, pretty confident after Florida State. And then, you know, thankfully they beat ODU, but it was a pretty rough performance. And then, you know, kind of the second half collapse against Notre Dame and what we saw against Miami, he can talk himself and the team up a little bit more than maybe he should. And I don't think he's intentionally going one way or the other. It's just how he comes across and how he believes in leading the team. And, for me, especially at times, I find it very refreshing to hear him mm-hmm. talk and, you know, give his honest assessment. At times, though, when you throw out a dud performance like he did against Miami, doesn't do you any favors. Right. And I, I think I think I want to say, first of all, I, I like Bronco a lot and I hope he stays for a long time. I think he's I think he is the right coach for this team. But I also think that good coaches adapt to where they're at. And I mean, if you look at Tony Bennett, Tony Bennett adapted. He's adapted every single year that he's been in Charlottesville. And the most obvious, you know, answer for, you know, when is he adapted is last year during the national championship run where we changed our offense to better suit the players that we had. We were running ISO plays against Duke. And I mean, that just shows like how good Hunter and Ty Jerome were, but it also shows how good of a coach Tony Bennett was to realize that, hey, I need to go away from what I've done for the past 12, 13 years and change everything in order to have the best chance to win. Now, of course, we didn't beat Duke, but we did change our offense enough to get to the national title game and eventually beat Texas Tech. So good coaches adapt. Good coaches realize the players they have and they coach to those players. And I'm not sure if Bronco has done that yet. I think he's done it defensively i think we've seen him really try to adjust for that and the way the personnel groupings are on defense the way I, they attack I, okay the i agree with, i agree with that but on offense you haven't seen that no so. and i i guess that's to say you know bronco is a defensive coach so i it makes sense that he would see the defensive side of the ball better mm-hmm. but it's disappointing that he he and the rest of the coaching staff have not changed hardly anything on offense to better suit our needs and who we are as a team yeah and you know he's definitely listening and i would say probably trying to evaluate his whole big thing is he went away from play calling duties on defense so he could quote be more the ceo so he could take a step back really evaluate everything at thirty thousand feet like is this the right decision x y and z (laughs) maybe robert and i is just real persuasive to him i don't know yeah but you know offensively we haven't seen kind of those adjustments to your player personnel groupings and you know systems in general so hopefully it's something that will change I mean at this point the whole the whole purpose of what I think we're trying to get at is we look at the offense and it's like well what's really going to change well I don't think 
Robert and I is all of a sudden going to come up with some, you know, new philosophies or schemes or anything. He had the bye week to do that and nothing looked new against Miami. So what can change, you know, right now, I think we have these broader ideas that maybe it's time to reevaluate, you know, some of the foundational principles that the program is built on, tweak them, not overhaul them, but tweak them. But, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to result in new wins this year. So when we look at how we're going to win this year to go from this four and two to maybe an eight and four, or, you know, what I predicted preseason nine and three, which maybe isn't looking as hot right now, but how do you get there? Well, I go back to 2017, 2018, when all we would hear is how slim the margin for error is. And I really think we're back at that point. This has to be, you know, pretty sound play calls with almost flawless execution because there's not a big play threat. There's no one that's really going to scare a defense. You know, you just kind of have to execute, execute, execute. And the problem, especially against Miami, is when that doesn't happen when you're in the red zone, that's a killer. And you're just not going to win games with nine points, you know, with six trips inside the 25. And, you know, I, I think it is important to for us to say that, you know, we don't want the whole program to be overhauled. I think that, you know, going back to basketball, you know, I can relate it to basketball all I want to. <laughs> but going back to basketball, Tony's held on to his defensive principles the whole time he's been at UVA, even at the beginning when it was like really, really awful to watch. And mm-hmm. and even even when people were saying it didn't work, even when we lost to UMBC, he kept holding on to his defensive principles saying we're going to play back line, we're going to slow down the tempo. So principles work. Yeah, you need them. You yeah, can't you, build any organization no, without you need, foundational you need principles. Them, but but you need to adjust for the team that you have. Yeah. Um, Tony's done that. Can Bronco do that as well? And I think, I don't know if we can adjust that much this season. And I think, I'm not saying the season's a wash, but, you know, I think where we're at is pretty much where we're going to be for the rest of the season. I don't think any major changes are going to come. I think, you know, we just got to live with the offensive line that we have. We got to, you know hunger down on defense and really hope that they don't score any points at all and uh, just hope that our offense can get somewhere down the field. Yeah, I mean, it's execution, 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 especially in the red zone. Yeah. You know, Kurt Benkert, you know, for better or worse, some people have mixed opinions. I have no problem with it, but just tweets a lot during games. Like, the dude's on IR. I like it. He's sitting on the couch. I like it. So he's just tweeting out his thoughts during games. He hopped on the Ballhawk show a couple weeks ago to give his thoughts on the offense, but... You know, really what he said with the red zone offense is that when Virginia typically scores touchdowns, it's off of taking advantage of one-on-one matchups, you know, especially when you're throwing the ball, throwing, you know, outside to Hasis or, you know, a little rub play for Joe Reed or someone like that, or you're scoring them from outside of the 20-yard line. And really, when you take away, you know, the goal line runs, which with the exception of FSU have not been very successful this year for UVA there's really bad execution problems in the red zone. And I mean, it's the slim margin for error again. So if that's going to be the case, Virginia's going to struggle in a lot of games, especially when you look at these teams coming up, that is the mediocrity of the ACC Coastal where there's no separation. Everyone's going to finish seemingly at six and six, seven and five. You know, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of close games coming up. And, you know, you think back to the 2007 season I, or the 2017 season, kind of the quintessential games for me were that back-to-back week stretch of UNC and Duke, where Virginia came out on top in both of those games, but they were both super, super close. 
Like, that's what I feel like it's going to be like the rest of the way. It's going to be super, super close games. And Virginia's going to have to out-execute these teams, especially offensively, because they're just not going to win with individual matchups, and they're really not going to win with play calling at this point either. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely not with talent uh, on the offensive side. Or the defensive side, really. I think, you know, execution is key, is what you said. Mm Mm-hmm. Rob, is there anything else you want to say about, you know, this season or where we think we're at? Is it, Are there any predictions that you want to change based on what you've seen so far? I don't know if I'd go 9-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Um, Just because really I was expecting a better offense this season. You yeah. know, I had kind of, I don't want to say bought in, but I believed the offensive line would be at about the same level it was last year. And I was higher on Wayne Talapapa than... I think he's shown to be, you know, he was kind of advertised mm-hmm. as something that he <laughs> wasn't a little bit. And you look at his high school film and you kind of see like the excitement there. He's faster than Jordan Ellis. He has more wiggle. But I mean, even Broncos said, I think it was in his Monday presser. Someone asked him like, hey, like, how is Wayne Talapapa? Like, can you describe his style? And Broncos said very bluntly, I don't know how Wayne felt about it, but he was like, yeah, like Wayne's the type of guy who has a little bit of a wiggle. But if he gets into the open field, someone's going to chase him down. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Okay, got it. Yeah. Anyway, so we're learning more about our players, our schemes, and I think equally, if not more important, is we're just learning more about the Coastal and the fact that, you know, Duke is still kind of up in the air. We're trying to figure out how good Duke is. They blew out Virginia Tech, but Virginia Tech was also a different team than they were, you know, they were a different team then than they were now with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. And of course, they're going to be so much better by the time we play them. Yeah, probably. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. But, you know, you also look at, you know, North Carolina is obviously better than what they thought we thought they would be. You know, we have to play Louisville, not that they're in the coastal, but that game still counts towards our ACC record. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a combination of both factors. I still think the coastal's up for grabs. You know, Virginia's yeah. still tied for first in the coastal. They control. It's funny. So. Only UVA and North Carolina control their own destiny in the Coastal now. Mm -hmm. If both those teams went out, then they're golden. Every other team in the Coastal needs help to get there. The thing is, is that there's plenty of time for help. There's still six, seven weeks left. Right. Um, Our next three games are Duke at home. That's at 3.30 on uh, ACC Network for those who can't go to Charlottesville. We're at Louisville the next week, and then we're at UNC the week after that. So... Uh, we finish October and then start November with uh, two away games. Rob, I think that we have to go either two and two and one or three and zero oh in these games to have a real shot at the coastal. Yeah, I mean, you look historically, if you're worse than six and two in the ACC, you're not winning the coastal. Even with the mediocrity that is the coastal, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you got to be three losses. You better have the tiebreakers over the those teams. And you yeah. look who has the potential to. Uh, win with three losses, literally any team in the division. Yeah. Um, with the exception of Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's not winning out. Mm-hmm. But you look, if you have two losses, you're in pretty decent shape. And if you only, if you're six and two, then even if there is a tiebreaker, then odds are you own that tiebreaker just based on your record against the team that you'd be going against. So Virginia still has a real shot to do it. I think they really need a turnaround performance, though. At Duke at home, you know, Virginia hasn't played at home since Florida State. Mm-hmm. I'll be there. I'm really excited for it. And Bronco has typically owned the matchups with David Cutcliffe. You know, the 2-10 and ten season, Bronco beat him. Bronco's beaten him all three years. He's been at UVA. But, I mean, that's that's such a critical game 
And if Virginia gets off on the wrong foot on that, then the sky might start to fall a little faster. Yeah. And, you know, the program isn't collapsing. The principles are still there. But, you know, it's it's kind of we're, you know, sold this bill of goods that, hey, we're we're trending up. We want to play like the coastal favorites. Well, if you can't do it against Duke, you know, it's going to set up for pretty mediocre kind of at best second half of the season. Yeah. All right. So with that, um, I think that we're going to end this football talk. I think that we've talked enough sadness and and disappointment for today. So uh, let's go ahead and give some yells. I'm going to give mine to Juan Thornhill, who today had his first career NFL interception against the Houston Texans. Uh, It was an awesome diving catch in the end zone. So congrats to Juan Thornhill. So he's doing all right in the NFL. Yeah, and you know, let's give some love to the uh, the women's soccer team too. Mm-hmm. Still number one in the country, and today in overtime they beat Florida State, the defending national champions. Good. So soccer is still good. Soccer. So, <laughs> we're, we're doing, doing all right, right over the, there. The other football. Yeah, football. The other football. We're a football so, school. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. This is Rob and Dustin. We are the Guys and Ties podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Snapchat as well at Guys and Ties Pod. Give us a listen on iTunes and Spotify if you want to keep hearing our content. We've got a new episode coming out sometime later this week about basketball and the scrimmage that happened. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, go check out Armchair All-Americans. You know, basketball season is right around the corner. Uh, hockey just started. Baseball is winding down. There's a lot of sports going on. So check out Armchair Media for all that content. And we will see you guys soon. Go who's. Go who's. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.